You're listening to audio from Noest Anglican. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit noest.org. Hi there, Norwest. Uh, this is Paul. Um, I'm on the ministry staff here at Norwest, and it's uh, my pleasure to welcome you to our weekly podcast. And I'm here with James. Hi, James. Hello. How are you doing? Well, how are you doing after a massive day yesterday? Oh, yeah. Well, three weeks in a row and a big Sunday. So, um, yeah, I'm still um, recovering a little. <laughs> well, it's good to see you still standing, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks for serving us so well again yesterday uh, and opening up Isaiah 55 for us. We really appreciated um, what you had to say and the way that the Spirit worked through what you had to say mm. to us, mate. So, yeah. it, was, it was a good day. And we had some good questions. Mate, I was wondering whether it's worth starting um, thinking about, because you've done this three-week stint, you've actually put the series together, which is great. What, what are your kind of initial, like your reflections over the last three weeks? What sort of things have stood out to you as you've delved yourself a bit deeper? Yeah, I mean, I've never preached on this part of Isaiah before, so that's been new. And often when you delve into a, a particularly a big book like this, you just realise how little you actually really know <laughs> And uh, how much there is there. So I've I've really I found that sense that we're just scratching the surface often, and it's been great what we see, but there's so much more. Um, I think I've also been really struck just um, how powerful the poetry that God gives. So He He chooses not to just give us like a narrative or in a set of you know here's the th- here's the uh, principles that I'm talking about with the new salvation, but it's it's very poetic, and so the the power of that that imagery, the language to kind of reaches in in different ways, perhaps emotionally um, and to kind of reach into that part of us um, has been quite interesting and um, nourishing for me and just being uh, lovely seeing and having lots of conversations with people saying, yeah, I've not seen that before. Or I've kind of felt um, impacted in a way that I haven't and so on. So I think mm-hmm. we've God's been using that powerfully as we've slowed down and paid attention to and tried to kind of grapple with the imagery and see what God's pointing to and so on. So. That sounds yeah. great. Mm. Actually, mm. thinking about the poetry idea, are there are there sort of tips you can give us for like reading it? Like, what should I be looking for as I read poetry? Because God is unraveling mm. major things in salvation history mm. in this poetry. Yeah. So, can you give us some maybe just some tips, like even things that you've done mm. to look for the look for what's in the poetry? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you've got to think about the imagery, um, and 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 sometimes we. We can be a little bit quick because we go, oh, I don't really get that image, so we'll just move on. But actually taking the time to think about, okay, what might it be pointing to? So is, is that an idea that's used elsewhere in the Bible that I can chase down or an image or is there a cross-reference that helps me kind of unpack that? Or do I remember reading something like that in Isaiah before? Um, so that's that's helpful, I think. Um, I think we also need to try and pay attention to the mood um, that's there and so that um, God is doing something um, uh in presenting the language in a way that's kind of impact us emotionally. So, um, so last week in Isaiah 53, it was very much, it was quite a heavy somber mood because we're talking about a suffering servant who's rejected and maligned. Uh, yesterday in Isaiah 55 was a sort of inviting, compelling, lift your eye, like don't miss out on this. Um, this is so good. Uh, and so the, the, the real mood is one of welcome and invitation. So I think we pay attention to that mood. Um, and then the flow, like the ideas were off, you know, develop and flow and you're trying to go, okay, so how do I, how do I kind of go on that journey and, and follow the th- flow of thought in, in the mood um, as it develops? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and if, if you've done any reading in English poetry sort of stuff, that helps as well, just understanding. Um, and often Hebrew poetry will kind of suggest an idea and then 
repeat it all in a different way on subsequent lines just to kind of flesh out the image. And so mm-hmm. you often go, oh, say it that way um, and then we'll say it a different way. Mm. Um, but even lines, is it, the, is it first two where he says, listen, listen, yeah, that kind of yeah. Uh, to uh, push his idea. Yeah, and yeah. it's because you get that sort of uh, give ear, um, come, it's just a re- repetition. I've noticed a lot reading the Psalms that, you know, the psalmist is in trouble and will call out, you know, Lord, turn your face towards me. Give ear to my cry. You are my um, my rescuer and protector. Yeah. You know, that real sense of urgency and um, imploring God to, to, yeah. p- to pay attention, to be attentive to the need. And I think that that when you see that and you sit in that, you go, oh, this is a the psalmist is writing out of a real angst and difficulty and difficult situation and knows that God is his only hope. And so he's kind of that real urgency and yearning towards that. And so... Um, you see, you pick up that kind of that mood and that sense, which yeah. then informs how you read. Yesterday, uh, you talked about uh, the second half of verse three, and you pointed out that about um, King David and mm. the promises made to him. Mm. I kind of felt like you were setting a mood there, saying this is what the original readers might have been in the in the background mm. for them. Is that what you were trying to do with that? Yeah, it just it did strike me that, um, and maybe it's me, um, you know, uh, projecting modern psychology into the readers, <laughs> but it struck me that if you're an original reader. And you're aware of the, all the covenant promises, and yet you sat in exile. Like I think that's understanding the mood. Um, we don't know exactly the setting. Like, have they come out of exile? They're about to come out of exile. Are they still in exile? And God's saying it's about to end. So I don't quite know exactly the the timing. But um, but if you're in that space, and that's a horrible time in Israel's history, mm. um, and and then to hear I make an everlasting covenant, and you're kind of like, well, hang on, what happened to the mm. the last one? And of course, it was because of uh, Judah's sin, uh, their rebellion that God disciplines them with the exile, um, but you can still understand them feeling, is this real? Like, is yeah. this going to happen again, or how's it how's it work? And so I, I felt like that was a an area where we kind of um, might need to sit in, and you could develop that a lot more. I would, I, I really only kind of gave passing comment to that. So, right, well, you've only got a certain amount of time, yeah, that's right, and, yeah. and we appreciate what you did. But yeah, it's just reiterating that 2 Samuel 7 promise, isn't mm. it? Taking the people back there all the time. Yeah, yeah thanks. That's really good. Uh, a couple of times yesterday uh, in question time, in more than one service, someone asked about verse 6. Mm. Um, just want to quickly read verse 6 for us. Yeah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. So it sounds like there's an urgency in that, right? Mm. And there's something about time wrapped up in that. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, and it's hard, it's hard to know, again, exactly the setting, but there's obviously God is saying this this offer is is time-bound, so it's not forever. Mm. Um, and so uh, you need need to respond. And God's caught, like the, the language before it come, turn your ear, there's, there's a real uh, urgency there and a necessity of responding. And I think then saying, well, there's a time while well, that's that's possible. Um, I think it's also you could possibly develop it in terms of um, when you think about his ways are far from us, so God is removed from us, transcendent, um, and yet he comes near to us in his word, like the, the rain and the snow uh, falls down in verses 10, 11. And so there is a sense that when you sit in God's word, um, uh, he is near to you, and that's the time when you respond as well. Yeah, so it's not – I don't think we just see it as purely like an end time – the final trumpet call, have you responded yet? But there's actually the, the regular need, regular call to um, to respond because God is near to you in his word. Yeah, um, that's great. So, so I could have preached, preached slightly different yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're grateful for what you did do. So, so, But that's really helpful that he comes near. 
I really like that. Mm. That um, because even in Romans one eighteen, right, he talks about the fact that you can see the evidence of me all the time. Mm. But I really like your take on uh, when we hear God's word, He's coming close. So yeah, watch for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's fantastic. Mm. Thanks, mate. Um, can you just give us a little bit of a clue, like because you've you know you've you've preached to us from this particular chapter. Maybe just give us some clues into where Isaiah fits into the larger, um, uh, the larger story of Scripture, mm. because you know there are there are themes that we see running right through Scripture as God unfolds salvation history. Mm. Uh, so I'm just wondering because we see a lot of themes mm. in Isaiah, don't we? Yeah. And you can't touch on all of them. Yeah. But can you just give us an idea of how that sort of fits and where some of the themes that are particularly coming out in this part of Isaiah? Yeah. So this part of Isaiah, as we said. Um, in the series, I wasn't. I was obviously long service when it was started, but I assumed Tim kind of said it for as well. In Isaiah forty, um, he did do a good job. Yeah. So, uh, so it's that sense of we finished Isaiah thirty nine with the judgment about to fall, and so that's the um, God's people in His place under His rule, enjoying that, and then um, their rebellion brings judgment um, from God, and so the the kind of Judah collapses uh, and they go into exile, and so then there's this period of lament and discipline and struggle and so on. And then this is the sort of point in the Old Testament where God says, um, I'm not only going to restore you to the land, but I've got an even bigger plan, uh, which somehow will include the nations, will somehow deal with sin. Uh, And so a lot of the Isaiah and the other prophets are giving us these foretastes and these forecasting ahead to what God's going to do. Um, And so that's then picking up themes around where God's people dwell, what it means to be God's people, um, how sin is dealt with, um, the power of God's word, his promises, uh, and and they're sort of sitting there ready to go and, and ready to be developed and we're getting little foretastes of that. Um, and uh, I think as we kind of head in towards the end of Isaiah, it, it, the, the um, horizon expands even wider um, to this sort of almost cosmic um, mm. restoration. Yeah. Um, and I, I said at uh, one of the morning services that um, uh, h- how do we, I think so, raised about with verse 3, how do you read that? Because it seems to be singular there. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. Um, and a really helpful question because uh, what it reminds us is that, you know, with with Abraham and the nation, God's promises are, are quite broad into a, a whole nation. But as um, uh, they fail, so to speak, um uh, that it zeroes down in on in Isaiah into the servant who's going to uh, fulfill and realize all those things uh, who we discover in the New Testament is Jesus. And then from him, um, God's uh, promises and his work kind of expand out to the nations and included. So, um, so we get a taste of that here, um, mm-hmm. with particularly with the servant songs who are pointing us to this individual yeah. um, who's going to do all that God needs to be done. Yeah. So people need to be done. Yeah. I know it's hard because we're um, the people are listening to this, but I just want you to know that James is using his hands to make a funnel. Um, <laughs> yes. So hopefully give you a picture of what, what he's talking about there, yeah. but it's it's really helpful coming down to Jesus and mm. then out to the mm. nations. That's re- that's um that's excellent. I was interested, um, someone asked a question about or you made a point in your sermon about in uh, verse thirteen, this is for the Lord's renown. Mm. And then you said, But what's the this? And you had us all curious and mm. that sort of stuff. And you went back to verse 12 where we see creation celebrating um, with us. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I'm just wondering whether uh, the this could actually, the context for it could actually go back to verse uh, 8 and 9, I think, where it talks about 
um, God saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Uh, is that setting it up for this comment of Lord's renown? How much does it matter? Um, you can just say, Paul, you're wrong if you want, That's uh, or don't worry about it. <laughs> but I'm just interested to think, you know, because God is setting himself yeah. up and that whole passage, because there's a four at the beginning of that, whether that all contributes to the this. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, um, it's always that question about how far do you refer back? Like it, you could draw in, um, uh, I've heard the analogy that, you know, you quote one verse from the Old Testament is like grabbing the edge of, edge of a bed sheet and you're bringing like the whole <laughs> sheet with you. So like yeah. where, where's the context stop? Yeah. Um, and so absolutely there's a sense in that because it's it's not like God has um, a compartmentalised plan that he just does things in segments. They're all because God is... Um, uh, so sovereign that he can hold all those threads together and have plans and, and he's not like he goes, oh, I'll start this, that didn't work, okay, I'll try something different. Um, so, yes, the context could pick up all of that. The way I read it was that um, uh, God is in sort of verse 8, 9, 10, he, he's sort of solving a problem, which is that um, we're so far from him and there's a hint there that, um, that, that, that farness is our wickedness, our sin, and so there's a distance between us and God. And so he reminds us of that, but that's actually an encouragement because he's not like us, he's not limited, um, he's actually forgiving. Um, and so then that's uh, he, he resolves that because he reminds us that um, his word comes near to us and achieves its purpose. And so I felt, I, I, the way I read it was that it was building up to verse 12 mm. um, as this kind of, this is the climax of what mm. God's doing is this new creation kind of idea yeah. with us being um, uh, enjoying uh, joy and the peace. And, again, that's language deliberately chosen by God to evoke. It's it's not just, you know, he didn't just say, well, and you'll um, live forever uh, in perfect relationship with me. Like it, 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 God wants us to understand that the, what that involves is is peace and joy. Mm. Um, and and so then uh, it so yeah, it's building up to that that cl- kind of climax. Uh, and so the, obviously the final peak is God's renown and glory, mm. and that's wrapped up, um, displayed in his people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, thanks, James. Because mm. it's also a restoration of creation, isn't it? Mm. I think you even mentioned that, the fact that we're, we're, it's not, um, we're not looking for sharks and crocodiles anymore in North Queensland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That we're, we're celebrating with Yeah, it's creation. not just that because um, I think our experience of creation is um, there's frustration there and it's danger, and it's not mm. just that that sort of is neutralised. But actually, the verse twelve saying you know that the creation will celebrate with us and yeah. be for us, which is that's totally different to just yeah. oh, it's no longer difficult. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, that was a great point you brought out. I thought, and uh, yeah, mountains uh, singing and trees clapping hands is yeah an interesting image, right? It did it did evoke? I remember when I first started going to church years ago, the, there was a song about the field, with, the trees of the field will clap their hands. Yeah, their I used hands. to sing in a choir that sang it. Yeah, yeah, and I. Yeah. yeah, and I never understood. I was like, "That's because I was only a, a new Christian then." And I was like, "What is this about?" And just, but you sing it because it's a song being sung. You know? <laughs> but now you see this poetry. Yeah, right? exactly. I understand it's... what it's pointing to. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Thanks, James. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually had an interesting conversation on the deck after ten thirty with some people who were talking about, um, you know, like we can understand we have all these ideas and concepts and knowledge that we can understand, and obviously a lot of it is abstract. Um, so. What, what kind of makes it real? How do we see the concreteness of it? And I think this kind of goes with a, a question that was asked a few weeks ago talking about we know these things in our head. How does it affect our hearts? So mm. I'm just wondering, can, can you comment on that? Like these, Because yesterday you um, really brought things home for us and, and the idea, I think your big idea was come, mm. right? And so there's something I think tangible about that. Yeah. Can you yeah. just 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, it's very strong in the passage, come. come. Yeah. Um, and yet God doesn't, um, he doesn't specify. He doesn't say come and make sacrifices for sin or come and read my word or come and worship at the temple. But it's come, you are thirsty, come to the waters, come and eat. And and um, and obviously it's not it's not a literal God's like prepared a literal feast, you know, and you're just going to eat and God's all he's doing is providing for our material nourishment and that's what he's talking about. He's obviously pointing to that whole like spiritual relational satisfaction in him. Um, and I, I think it's a bit like the parables. You know, sometimes you get Jesus' parables and you get to the end of it and, you, and you're like, why did, what does that mean? Why, why does he say it that way? And I think that's exactly where God wants us to be is really wrestling because there's always a risk if, we, if we're too neat and concrete. Um, we go, oh, okay, I need to do And it can, be, um, it can just be f- uh, token or legalistic or crushing. Um, and, and it's the same thing when, you know, um, people say, oh, can you give me um, a couple of things to do uh, as a response? And, and I'm always sympathetic because I know that we kind of want to, we don't want to just sort of theorise, we want to live out. But if the heart's not moved, you can give four or five things to do and people either don't do it or they feel proud about it or they yeah. despair. And so um, the concreteness of it, I think, uh, comes when people go, they're impacted, they say, come, what does that mean to come? What would that look like for me to come? How do I come? And they're, they're praying about it. Lord, show me what that looks like. They're talking about it together. They're, they're maybe thinking about other places in the Bible um, which we, we touched on a few of the, like, the idea that Jesus invites us to come. Mm. Um, but I, I think that's that's the, the point, the fact that God has deliberately not given us three concrete steps mm. to do, um, but actually has invited us with language that is enticing and compelling mm. um, in order that we we do that relational piece, that, that reflection, that pondering over it. Yeah, um, that's really helpful. Yeah. I think that, that kind of openness to it meets people where they're at. Yeah. Um, which means it can affect any of us. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I love it. If people come away from a passage like Isaiah 55 just really puzzling about what it looks like for them and mm. praying about it and thinking about it and talking together and so on, I think that that's great because they're, they're opening themselves up for God to keep doing work rather than everything being neatly tied up on a Sunday. You know, I've heard this message, I've understood, I've been given the two things that I need to do and I go home and, and work on Like that's, that's not um, the sense of... God doing a deeper work on you over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. One one other question was interesting from a younger Christian uh, I had yesterday was around the fact the kind of imagery that is used at the beginning. You know that we we would eat and we would mm. feast and those kinds of things gives it a real physical sense. Mm. Um, and the question was, does that mean later on things will be physical? Mm. Uh, when Je- and I thought, what a yeah, yeah, interesting. They picked that up. Yeah. How would you respond to that? Well, I think it sounds like they've um, picked up some pop culture about that it's just our experience post-death and in the new heaven. It's just sort of like this non-physical, non-material floating sort of, and actually we we physically resurrected. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and not in the same kind of broken fallen. You know, Paul says what's sown in, um, uh, in what is it, uh, in weaknesses raised in glory. So this idea that we have a, a glorious body like Jesus' glorious body. So, yeah, absolutely, physical. Because yeah. um, Jesus was physically raised from the dead, and that is appointed to our resurrection. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the and and we don't like you know it's helpful to picture a feast because I think God and Jesus uses that analogy a lot you know, mm. uh, for heaven a banquet, um, and yet we don't kind of know exactly 
physically what it will look like. Yeah. But, but new heavens, new earth, uh, restored relationship with creation. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, <clears throat> that physicalness also points to God's provision that mm. it will not end. And Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was just a really interesting question, uh, thinking about where, where we're heading mm. and that, that there is a physicalness to it because God – Loves the material because he made it. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, I thought it was a really helpful question. Yeah, and it's actually um, smuggled, you know, Christians, it's been smuggled in on from Greek philosophy, which has sort of influenced yeah. Western culture, mm. that salvation is a spiritual escape from the physical um, and so that we end up with that. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible mm. says physically resurrected, restored, redeemed, um, not an escape from the body. So Yeah. Mm. James, great answers mm, mm. to some difficult questions. Uh, and thanks again, mate, for serving us the way you did yesterday. It was a pleasure. Hopefully you uh, found this conversation helpful, uh, Norwest, and that you'll have a good week. And thanks for joining us for our podcast. James, have a great week. You too, mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to connect with us at norwest.org.